Sam. And this is Jen. And this is Pegasus Weekly, where we are on a mission to put more money in equestrians' pockets. This week, we are doing things a little differently. That's right. It's not every day that the Kentucky Derby runs, and so to celebrate this glorious event, we have chosen to dedicate all three stories this week to the race. And in doing so, explore three characters, the horse, the trainer, and the owner of this year's winner, Medina Spirit. So for our first story, we will look at Medina's Spirit, its glorious underdog upbringing, and the business behind thoroughbred sales in the United States. For our second story, we introduce character number two, horse trainer Bob Baffert. Where did he come from? How long has it taken him to build his legacy? And how much is his legacy worth? Spoiler alert, it's in the tens of millions. Today we dive deep into how a trainer makes money and turns local training into million dollar paydays. For our third and final story, we conclude this series with character three, Medina Spirit's owner, Amar Zadan. We break down Mr. Zadan's background and how his work with racehorses and polo is part of a wider modernization plan for the Saudi Arabian economy. With that said, let's jump into our three stories and for one week only, our three characters. For our first story, allow me to introduce character one of our series today, the winner of this year's Kentucky Derby, Medina Spirit. 2021 marked the 147th Kentucky Derby and kicked off this year's race for the Triple Crown. There was a lot of speculation earlier in the year about whether it was going to be on due to COVID, but with the rapid rollout of the vaccine, the race went ahead capped at 50% capacity with only 52,000 spectators in attendance. Which is the largest sporting event crowd recorded since the pandemic began. Now, as I'm sure you've all heard by now, the trainer of Medina Spirit was Bob Baffert. But what I'm sure many of you don't know is that Medina Spirit came into the race with 12 to 1 odds. Now, as self-professed amateurs of the racing world, we would have thought that with Baffert's track record, Medina Spirit would have had better odds entering the race. Yeah, for those that are like us who are not racing aficionados, 12 to 1 odds is actually pretty bad. To put that in perspective, race favorite Essential Quality came into the race with an undefeated track record and 3 to 1 odds. So by comparison, 12 to 1 is not the best. But that just goes to show the beauty of the sport because while Essential Quality was assessed to be all but a sure thing, he ended up placing fourth on the day. It's almost poetic though when you dig deeper into Medina Spirit's background. It turns out he has been an underdog his entire life. Fold on April 5th, 2018, Medina's dam was at first unable to produce milk, so Medina's breeder, Gail Rice, had to use some colostrum that had been saved from another mare to feed him. As far as bloodlines go, Medina is descended from Prontico and Mongolian Chang'e. Prontico's sire was a leading sire in North America called Giants Causeway, who was a multiple Group 1 winner in Europe nicknamed the Iron Horse, while Mongolian Chang'e, on the other hand, is a foal of brilliant speed who only won one of six starts. Now, Medina's spirit attracted very little attention when he was entered into the Ocala Breeder Sale of January 2019. In fact, only just over two years ago, Medina's spirit was put up for auction at OBS for only $1,000. We say put up for auction, we should say had a minimum placed on him for $1,000, which means that the minimum they would take is $1,000 for a bid. To put that in perspective, these sales work exactly like house auctions, whereby you set a minimum bid you will accept. If no one bids higher than your minimum, then the house doesn't sell. 
Anything over your minimum means the house is officially sold and the seller makes that profit. So for the seller to set Medina Spirit's minimum at $1,000 is not a high vote of confidence. No, no, it's not. It means that if they got $1,000 for the horse, they would be happy. Yeah, they were essentially just trying to get the horse off their hands and cover the cost that it took for them to get the horse to OBS to then be sold in the first place. The buyer of Medina Spirit was Christy Whitman, who obviously saw something that the rest didn't. Jen and I have been to OBS and watched the sales with our own two eyes. And it's a very interesting and exciting affair. OBS, for those that don't know, stands for the Ocala Breeder Sale, and it is the largest sale of racehorses in the world. A few times a year, people from all over the world fly into the small but mighty town of Ocala, Florida to buy and sell young thoroughbreds. When we say fly in, we literally mean fly in. Right across the road from OBS is an airstrip where horses land and take off, as do billionaires and hundreds of millionaires that land their private jets just to buy a couple horses before piling back in their planes and jetting onto their next adventure. The facility itself is relatively unassuming. They have a large inside auditorium with a stage up front where the auctioneers sit and manage bids from both live members of the audience and global bidders who are dialing in. Behind them is a large double door that allows the horses to walk on and off stage out into a back area where there is another smaller bidding area overlooked by a large tiki bar where the horse agents and buyers sip beers and cocktails and they observe the horses for sale and then bid. All in all, it's not as glamorous as, say, Monaco's F1 racing scene, but it is effective. In your average year, OBS sells around $70 million worth of horses with an average selling price of around $80,000 per horse. The way that these sales work is that in the week leading up to the auction, the hundreds of horses that are being sold during the course of the auction week are taken out back to the OBS racetrack to conduct a series of short sprints to prove their racing capability, a process known as breezing. And when we say out back to the OBS racetrack, we are underselling it. The OBS racetrack that is out back, as we so colloquially put it, is world-class. It's one of the finest racetracks in the world. Yeah, that was a good point to clarify. When you have so much money passing hands and people bringing in their prized horses from all over the world, you don't want to provide them with an average track to prove their horse's value. Absolutely not. So anyway, during the course of these sprint sessions, OBS officials record the horse's times and then combine these times with the horse's bloodlines and race history into a large book that looks like a Bible. That book is then distributed freely on auction day for all to read, discuss, and ultimately bid upon when the horses come out for auction. Now, you heard us say that Medina Spirit had a minimum of $1,000 set for his auction and that your average horse sells for around $80,000 at OBS. So when Medina Spirit was given a minimum of a grand, it's just goes to show how much the horse wasn't considered a strong candidate, even by its owners who knew it better than anyone else would. Well, almost everyone else. They didn't know better than Christy Whitman, it seems, who bought Medina Spirit for $1,000. Obviously, a very good eye for talent, Christy went on to sell Medina Spirit to Colt Bloodstock agent Gary Young for thirty-five grand, who purchased him on behalf of Amar Zidane, the current owner who just this past Saturday won the Kentucky Derby with a scrappy young horse. Besides simply having a good eye for talent, Mr. Zidane supported the purchase from Christie because one of his friends, Usama Abu Ghazali, had owned Prontico and so was familiar with the bloodline. Mr. Zidane named the horse Medina after the capital of the Medina province of Saudi Arabia, which not only is the hometown of Mr. Zidane, but also the second holiest city in the Middle East after Mecca. So what's our takeaway, Jen? On Saturday, Medina Spirit, a Saudi-owned horse purchased initially for only $1,000 and a major underdog with the odds of 12 to 1, won the Kentucky Derby and proved that even the best in the business cannot spot a clear winner sometimes. And consequently, we are sure made some risky gamblers out there a lot of money.
For our second story, we introduce character two from the Kentucky Derby, trainer Bob Baffert. Bob Baffert, as I'm sure you have all heard by now, just became the winningest trainer ever in Kentucky Derby history. 2021 marks Bob's seventh Derby win and perhaps more impressively, his second in a row, having won the Derby last year with the horse Authentic. Bob's journey to the winningest trainer in Derby history has been a long one, but definitely an intentional one, it seems. From the very beginning, he intended to work in the racing horse industry and started out by attending and graduating from the University of Arizona's Racetrack Industry Program with a Bachelor of Science degree. Upon graduation, he began training quarter horses and quickly developed a reputation as a trainer. By age 20, he was already being hired to run stables and train horses for successful horse owners. Quite a feat when you consider how young and immature most 20-year-olds are. Exactly. When I think back to where I was at 20 and where I am now, it's quite amazing to think Bob was already aggressively working on his career when the majority of his peers were probably still fooling around at college. Bob made the switch to thoroughbreds as he had always planned to in the 1980s when he moved to California from Arizona to work at the Los Alamitos Racecourse. He didn't get his big break for some time though. In fact, until 1992 when he finally won the Breeders' Cup race with the Horse 30 Slews at 39 years of age. Which just goes to show you how hard this business can be and how much you have to love it to stick with it. Considering that Bob proactively built his portfolio from his first year out of college and still, he didn't break through to 39 years of age, goes to show that if you don't love it, most people won't break through. If there is anything Bob's career has proved, however, it is that the work is worth the wait. From that 1992 win through to this last Saturday, Baffert has 16 victories in Triple Crown races, including six derbies, seven Preaknesses, and three Belmonts. And boy, has his hard work paid off. Over the course of his career in winnings alone, Bob has earned himself a good $30 million for his services and over $300 million for the owners of the horses he has trained. Even at the professional level, the way that horse trainers make money is not too dissimilar to that of your own trainer. Like your own trainer, trainers at Bob's level do not work for anyone directly. Instead, they are private contractors and are not hired by an owner or an institution and put on a salary. No, instead, like a trainer, they charge a daily contractor fee per horse. The latest numbers we could find are from 2010, but in 2010 in Kentucky, for example, your average thoroughbred trainer would charge an average daily rate of $82 per horse per day to board and train them, meaning they earn about $2,500 a month per horse. So if they board and train 10 horses, then they earn $25,000 a month. Now, of course, that isn't all profit. From that $25K a month, a trainer has a lot of expenses. They have to pay grooms and exercise riders to work with those horses. They must purchase feed, straw for stall bedding, saddles and other equipment, etc. All in all, if they earn $82 a day per horse, they end up spending about $62 a day per horse and so have, roughly speaking, about a 25% profit margin. Not included in these costs are non-boarding and training associated costs like the vet bill and the farrier bill, which the trainer passes on to the horse owner to pay. So if a horse trainer has 10 horses at $25,000 a month, minus expenses, they only end up making about $72,000 a year. It's enough to live a comfortable life But it's not a lot, relatively speaking. So how does someone like Bob net $30 million over 30 years? Two ways. Firstly, simple supply and demand economics. If you are an excellent trainer and the demand of owners wanting you to train their horses surpasses the amount of horses you are willing to train, then you can raise your price. So all of a sudden, you don't charge $2,500 a month per horse. You start charging $10,000 a month per horse. Hey, 
Are you an equestrian event organizer looking to put on your next clinic or schooling show? Pegasus is about to release its new event management system, which is a modern platform that makes it easy to accept entry registrations, receive digital signatures for your event paperwork, as well as manage the logistics and scheduling of your event. You can even digitally showcase your vendors and sponsors so that brands have much better visibility than the traditional logo on a fence. Pegasus has made it easy to run an event from start to finish with features designed for everyone involved, especially the riders, who can now easily register and receive real-time updates. Gone are the days of running your event through Facebook or tech from the 90s. Check out the launch of the Pegasus event management system at www thepegasus.app. That is www.thepegasus.app. And while your expenses will rise to get the best trainers, feed, etc., they won't raise as much as the price you charge, so your profit margins grow. Assuming that you charge $10,000 a month per horse and you have 10 horses and your expenses are now 50% of your cost instead of 75% of your cost, then a trainer would now take home $600,000 a year. So as you can see, the economics exponentially increase in the trainer's favor. And how do you increase the demand for your training services so you can raise training prices to meet demand? You win races. The more you win and the more prestigious the races are that you win, the more people want you to train their horse because they believe that you can turn their horse into a winner. And why do they want you to turn their horse into a winner? Because they earn the winnings, and as long as the winnings outweigh the cost of the training, they make money. And let's be honest, they do it because it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. But this does bring us to the second way trainers like Bob earn $30 million. Winnings. A trainer also typically gets a portion of all the money a horse earns per month over and above their day rate. Exactly. If a horse races and comes in first, second, or third, the trainer gets 10% of the purse, the amount of money the horse earns for racing. If a purse is, say, $30,000, the trainer gets three grand of that. So going back to our trainer with 10 horses who only takes home $6,000 a month or $70,000 a year, if one of their 10 horses wins a race each month equal to $3,000 in winning for the trainer, then they earn $9,000 a month, which bumps their annual salary up to $106,000 a year. And that's for a low reward race. Trainers like Bob qualify for races like the Kentucky Derby, whose prize purse is about $2 million for first place and 600 k and 300 k for second and third, respectively, of which you can earn 10% if you win, which can equal a $180,000 one off payday. And this all assumes that trainers like Bob haven't negotiated a larger percentage of the winnings. Yeah, if the demand for your training services gets to a point where you are turning down wealthy horse owners left and right, then yeah, you have what the business world refers to as leverage. Leverage you can use to negotiate the terms of your agreement, one of which may be that in order for you to take one person's horse into your program over another, you want 30% of the winnings rather than 10%. Which we are sure Bob does, because why wouldn't he? In fact, with a title like the winningest trainer in derby history, he probably negotiates an even higher stake. So that is how Bob gets his net worth up to over $30 million. And that doesn't even include the fact that someone like Bob can turn a horse that earns $1.8 million in a race into a horse that will continue to sell millions and millions of dollars worth of sperm at stud when it retires from racing. So what's our takeaway here, Sam? Bob Baffert became the winningest trainer in Kentucky Derby history on Saturday when he won his seventh derby, a track record that has netted him over $30 million in earnings over the last 30 years and most likely only going to earn him increasing amounts into the future. 
For our third and final story this week, we are looking at our third and final character, Medina Spirit's owner. This lesser-known man behind the winning horse is a fabulously wealthy Saudi businessman called Amar Zadan, who by all accounts looks like a genuine supporter of the sport. After scrolling through his social media accounts, it is clear that Zadan is not a businessman who views horses and horse sports as a way to simply spend his money or make money. No, quite the opposite. Not just a passive investor, Mr. Zadan has pictures of himself playing polo with British royalty Prince William and Harry, as well as plentiful photos of him playing polo with many Middle East comrades back home. So he does walk the walk and as a man in his late 40s or early 50s who, with the money that he has, could easily be doing literally anything, it's quite commendable that he still gets up on a horse and risks life and limb to enjoy the sports he loves so much. Mr. Zadan discovered his love for horses and polo in particular in the year 2000. A Saudi citizen, he grew up all over the world, having spent a lot of time living and educating himself in both the United States and the United Kingdom. Which we assume is how he came to love the sport and the role it plays in socializing and diplomacy. Polo is often referred to as the Game of Kings, which is apparent by the fact that it's a game often enjoyed by Princes William and Harry. And consequently, it is an event where people of power from all around the world congregate and connect in a casual, non-official manner, which creates the opportunity for both business and back office diplomacy to take place over a few drinks and a few chucks. This, we believe, is where Mr. Zidane's plans and his passion for horses collide. You see, Saudi Arabia is a very interesting country and an unlikely ally of the West. On the one hand, Saudi Arabia is one of, if not the most Islamic country in the Middle East. Its legal system is still greatly influenced by religious beliefs, with women still being very restricted in their daily routine and clothing. For example, it was only a few years ago that women were granted the legal right to get a driver's license and just simply drive. This intertwining of religion and law also results in a greater than average amount of what we in the United States would refer to as Islamic extremism. The Saudi government receives a decent amount of criticism from the international community for not doing more to rid itself of terrorist cells that use Saudi Arabia as a safe harbor from which to plan their attacks against the West. So how is it that on one hand, Saudi Arabia can be both a somewhat safe harbor for Islamic extremism and be winning the Kentucky Derby and celebrating live on American TV? The answer is money. Saudi Arabia has a lot of money. Saudi Arabia has been blessed with unfathomably large crude oil reserves, which it has spent the last 70 years mining and selling to the rest of the world for incredible riches. With all of us running cars on gasoline, powering our houses from electrical grids powered by crude oil, etc., the American government has been very careful not to damage their diplomatic relationship with Saudi Arabia over something comparatively small like terrorism in order to ensure it continues to have access to Saudi Arabia's oil reserves. But that is all changing. Yes, which hasn't been good for Saudi Arabia. No, no it hasn't. With the climate change has come a slow but gradual increase in the investment by Western nations in green technologies and alternative power sources. Wind and solar power have finally hit a point that they are cheaper than crude oil to create and use, and technologies like Tesla have developed to be able to actually run off these power sources, cutting out the need for Saudi oil. On top of that, about 10 years ago, the United States began generating its own crude oil and actually became one of the largest producers of crude oil in all of the world. Which is all a really long way of saying that Saudi Arabia, whose entire economy has historically run on the sale of crude oil supplies, found itself scrambling for another way to make money. Yeah, about 10 years ago, the Saudi government, which is essentially just one very large extended family of kings and princes, decided they had to proactively and aggressively diversify their economy and begin generating new industries 
to make up for the drop in sales in crude oil. They came up with a plan called the 2030 Vision, which the government explains to be, and we are quoting here, a strategic framework to reduce Saudi Arabia's dependence on oil, diversify its economy, and develop public service sectors such as health, education, infrastructure, recreation, and tourism. You can see examples of this effort all over, not the least of which is Hollywood films, such as the movie that came out a few years ago with Tom Hanks called A Hologram for the King, which was designed to get the world to view Saudi Arabia as a tourist destination. Which brings us back to Mr. Zidane, Polo, and the Kentucky Derby. One of the main efforts by the Saudi government and private business sector is to grow the tourism sector by bringing sports and entertainment to Saudi Arabia. Mr. Zidane founded both the Saudi Polo Federation and his own private Zidane polo team and has partnered with the International Polo Federation and the Saudi Equestrian Federation in an effort to build momentum behind the sports and hopefully one day host some of the most illustrious and glamorous polo competitions in the world. Yeah, much like Monaco has done for the Formula One series, we suspect Saudi Arabia is positioning itself to be the polo destination of the next century. And with that will come the tourists who are attracted to the glitz and glamour. And in doing so, we'll see that Saudi Arabia is a beautiful country and hopefully return home and tell all of their friends that they must visit and therefore kickstart a new generation of tourism in Saudi Arabia that will contribute a large amount of money to their economy. Mr. Zidane has all but confirmed this himself when asked in a 2019 interview what kind of plans are in place for the future of polo in the kingdom. To which he responded, big plans. Like anything in line with the 2030 vision, our aim is to develop world-class facilities and inspire the next generation of athletes to have a positive impact on our nation. We also aim to develop and host world-class events to attract high-profile professional polo players and the dignitaries who play on the global polo scene. We would, for example, love to see Prince William and Prince Harry play here one day. So what's our takeaway, Jen? Saudi Arabia's 2030 plan requires the country to diversify its economy in order to secure a future for itself. And Mr. Zidane is leading the charge in kickstarting its tourism economy by investing heavily in both racehorses and polo as a means of legitimizing Saudi Arabia's place in the equine industry. And there's no better way to do that than winning the Kentucky Derby, which Mr. Zidane just did this past Saturday. Our industry news this week comes from the USEA, who recently partnered with Strides for Equality Equestrians, also known as SEE, to form the ever-so-sweet scholarship. The scholarship, which is the first of its kind, provides a fully funded opportunity for riders from diverse backgrounds to train with upper-level riders. If you're not familiar with C, they're an awesome program who seeks to address the lack of racial and ethnic diversity in equestrian sports. So, a bit about the scholarship. Eddie Ramika, Sarah and Brian Murphy will provide biannual sponsored internships for riders to train with Sarah and Brian. Beginning this summer, scholarship recipients will receive funding to immerse themselves in a high-performance training program with them at Overlook Farm Equestrian Center in Berryville, Virginia for three months. And then in the winter, the scholarship will provide two months of training with Sarah and Brian in Florida. The scholarship will cover expenses for full board and training costs for the horse, several lessons per week, housing for the rider, a stipend to cover living expenses, competition fees, and coaching at competitions. Participants will learn to manage, care for, and compete horses in an immersive program and will have the opportunity to work as part of a team in all aspects of running a large competitive barn. And of course, these riders will make tons of professional connections that would otherwise be unattainable and play an active role in fostering a more inclusive environment within the sport. So who can participate in this scholarship? Riders who are at least 17 years old have access to an appropriate horse and are committed to promoting access and inclusion in horse sports are invited to apply. To learn more about Strides for Equality Equestrian, the scholarship, and or the application process, head to www.stridesforequality.org. 
right, that's it from Pegasus HQ this week. We hope you enjoyed these three stories. A quick reminder that we grab these stories from the news page on the Pegasus platform each week. So if you want to learn more about these stories or just enjoy a variety of global equestrian news in one single easily scrollable place, head on over to www.thepegasus.app. Also, if you want to learn more about Pegasus and see how we built this podcast and company, follow us on Instagram at the Pegasus app and at the Pegasus app underscore BTS, which stands for behind the scenes. But before we go, we've got to give a shout out to our latest Pegasus members. Hello to fellow Middleburger Shannon Venezia of SMV Equestrian and representative of Atwood Equestrian Surfaces. If you're in the market for exceptional footing for your arena, contact Shannon. We cannot recommend Atwood enough. Our love to Lauren Jennison, hunter-jumper rider based in Virginia Beach. Celebrity shout out to YouTuber and Tommy Hilfiger equestrian model, Matt Harnicky. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Matt. Wishing the best to Pony Club graduates and what must be the most extraordinary eventing twins that ever were, Jean and Jane Thomas, based in Ocala, Florida. Also in Ocala is yet another eventing powerhouse who happens to be Jean and Jane's coach and Pegasus member, Marcy Funk of Market Street Equestrian. Based at the stunning Rocking Horse Stables, Market Street Equestrian offers full-service training, lessons, and sales. We love working with Marcy and cannot say enough great things about her. All right, team. Thanks so much for listening in, and we will catch you next time. Oh,